People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm. And we're glad you join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to hear our take as three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. We're excited to continue spreading the message that promotes critical thinking and thoughtful conversations, advocating for social activism, and uplifting people everywhere. We're also inviting you to join us as we continue the work of encouraging and educating everyone with the edifying task of identifying, endorsing, and inspiring new and existing black businesses and individuals for the empowerment and prosperity of our community. Send your comments, questions, and suggestions, and follow us on Facebook, on X, formerly known as Twitter, at The Brothers Talk, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and you can email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. And stay tuned for details about our YouTube channel, our upcoming book, and tour dates. And now on with this week's program. Happy New Year, Brothers Talk family, as we welcome you and all of our first-time listeners around the world, wherever you're listening into our first episode of 2024. Before we jump right into the mix, though, brothers Scott and Norm, hope you had a tremendous holiday season, and let's welcome the family into the new year of weekly get-togethers. Uh, hey, Happy New Year's family. I hope that you all got a chance to do to cook your black eyed peas, greens, fish, and rice for health, prosperity, and peace. Now, I'm not sure whether that works or not, but I'm not taking a chance on not doing it. So... To all my all my brothers talk family, wishing you a happy new year, a prosperous new year, and continued health and long life. You know? Yes, and I'd like to follow up, Scott, by wishing everyone a very prosperous and healthy year. You know, for us to step forward and continue our growth, we all have to be healthy and we all have to have our minds right. So please, I just wanted to wish everyone a happy and uh, prosperous new year. And in your weekly coronavirus awareness alert, because we care, the new fast-spreading COVID-19 variant known as JN.1, that's now the most prevalent in the United States, has surged along with the flu to cause hospitals across the country to require healthcare workers and their visitors to the facilities to wear masks again. So this seems like a no-brainer because if the people that are in charge are taking care of our health concerns when we are ill are taking these precautions, why wouldn't we? It's a new year, and yes, it's the same song, but it's still relevant tune that's saving lives, so we won't shirk from doing the right thing and everything we can to inspire and persuade you to save the lives of both you and your loved ones. So get vaccinated and get your boosters and arm and protect your loved ones by insisting that they are all vaccinated. And then remember to wash your hands regularly, wear masks in crowded situations, use plenty of disinfectants, and if you or your children do get sick, Stay home until the contagious period passes. No one wants to start out the year in the hospital or worse from these preventable diseases. We can and we must do better. And once again, to my brothers in the struggle for critical thinking, Scott and Noam. To stay on this COVID thing for a second, Rod, uh, I saw this article where uh, it's ABC News. They were saying that several hospitals across the country in several states like California, Illinois, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Washington, Wisconsin, some other states, uh, their hospitals have put masking guidelines in place. So if they're, like Rod said, you know, if the healthcare workers are wearing masks and they put guidelines in place, meaning you can't come in the hospital without a mask on, that tells you that 
we're about to have an outbreak and quietly some some hospitals and some states are preparing for it but look like we I don't know we don't know how bad it's going to be but look like it's on its way yes and i just like to remind everyone also that we are also having a fentanyl crisis in our community so please no matter what if you get a prescription make sure it comes directly from the pharmacy and not from the streets So right out of the gate this year, we want to prime you to hold fruitful conversations that will require you to not only think, but engage those around you in the thought process. As of this Tuesday, Harvard President Claudine Gay has resigned from her position. The first black woman in the history of that historically white university was forced out basically around the issues of white supremacy because they made it about saying that she had actually plagiarized some documents, which according to the person that she was supposed to have plagiarized them from, he said he didn't call that plagiarism. And yet it's interesting that as I've always understood it, plagiarism meant that you were protecting someone's intellectual property. So if the person that you're claiming to protect his intellectual property is saying that it's not plagiarism, then how are you insisting that it is? And bottom line is it boiled down to her having in her dissertation some lacking quotation marks. But at the end of the day, we all know what this is about. It's about the fact that you've had these white Harvard donors who didn't want her in there in the first place and called her an affirmative action hire and then used her testimony in front of Congress where she refused to become just so pro-Israel and not release her position as protector of all the students on campus. So they use that as just a cudgel to effectively get what they wanted, which is finally to have her resign. But we do need to step up, and particularly because we have these quote-unquote leaders in Congress, Black leaders, who haven't said a word, who haven't come out and provided any kind of support for her. If Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin can get together to try to provide some sort of guidelines and guide rails for the name, image, and likeness process in college football, which effectively nobody outside of college football cares about, how is it that we can't have a group of some 55 members of the Black Caucus come out and really shed their support for this historic position. It's a travesty, and we really need to do a better job because all that's being written now is attempting to smokescreen it by saying that it was concerns over her plagiarism. But even with that, they also link back to say that it had to do with her testimony in front of Congress. But as we said, and we'll continue to say, it really is white supremacy acting in a way that says we did not want this black woman at the head of the nation's most prestigious historically white university. You know, Ron, uh, you hit the you hit the nail on the head. You got a situation here where you know that they search high, low, far and wide for any little crumb of anything negative that they could use against her. And to come up with plagiarism, and you got to ask yourself, how long it's been since, I don't know when she, she did her dissertation, but I know it, it didn't happen a week ago or a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, a couple of years ago. So you're going to tell me that she's held 
some uh, serious positions, some high-level administrative positions before getting this job, or she's been in academia her entire career, and the plagiarism has never been an issue, even though I'm pretty sure it was looked at really hard anytime she was uh, when she was an administrator or whether she was teaching. So to me, that in itself says that race played probably the biggest part of this than anything. They was looking for anything. They couldn't get them. They couldn't get her on the anti-Semitic front. They tried to say that, you know, she was being anti-Semitic. So let's go to plagiarism. But the thing, one of the things, too, that bothers me is, is the lack of support from supposedly black leadership. When you got this guy, Vivek Ramaswamy or whatever, just a straight clown, you know, he, he was attacking her and he's been attacking Kamala Harris, talking about the only reason they got those positions is because of affirmative action, not realizing that you're not white. And probably the reason that you got into the Ivy League schools that you were in is because you were not white. And I think when he look in the mirror, he doesn't see a non-white person. But to have the Congressional Black Caucus sit on their hands, and I'm not surprised because since Obama, since President Obama left office, we haven't heard a peep from them pretty much on anything. Anything that matters to the black community or anything that matters to the public at large, not even when we was in the midst of the COVID pandemic, there was no leadership. So where is the leadership other than what I get from the Congressional Black Caucus and what I get from the black students in leadership positions in uh, the Democratic Party? They're more interested in making history. Can we be the first? They're still concerned about being the first they have the first black woman president the first black woman vice president the first black woman is the first dad the first dad this instead of what can we do to help black folks in this country who are constantly under attack from all fronts well i'm definitely going to agree with you there scott you know instead of actually addressing any policies or any issues regarding our community they're CBC, that is, they're first and foremost about re-election and financing their campaigns in their pockets. That's really what they're about. But as far as the head of the uh, the president of Harvard, I, I have the utmost feeling that the Israel lobby, the pro-Israel lobby, was really, really behind all of this and really spearheaded her ouster. And they were going to align with anyone on that far right or white supremacist side to basically get her out. And um, basically, they're not really caring about the, the, the safety of the students or what have you, or the voices of the students. But once the, the pro-Israel students came out against her, I mean, it was just a matter of time, in my opinion. So carrying on this conversation, talking about APAC, the organization that's known as the American Israel Public Affairs Committee and the Black Caucus, I think it's noteworthy for us to also make a point of saying that we support the squad because the squad is not in lockstep with the Congressional Black Caucus. The squad, which is made up of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York, Elon Omar from Minnesota, Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts, Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, Jamal Bowman from New York, Corey Bush of Missouri, 
Greg Sazer of Texas and Summer Lee of Pennsylvania, eight members of the House of Representatives whose average age is 38. That's some 19 years younger than the average representative age in Congress. And they have the highest approval rating among all Democrats and the highest disapproval ratings among Republicans. Another two feathers that should be in their cap. And now they've been targeted by APAC to the tune of $100 million to try to defeat them because they dared to support the ceasefire in the Israeli-Hamas conflict that's now seen over 20,000 Palestinians kill with some 57,000 who've been injured and two-thirds of those are women and children. So for their standing up for morality and humanity, they are now being targeted by this Israel lobby, even though everyone cites the ongoing uh, coalition of blacks and Jews that has been at the forefront of the civil rights process. But an interesting thing has happened along the way where you've seen that the Jews, by and large, uh, who are part of a lot of these efforts are more concerned about embracing whiteness than they are about supporting civil rights. And so we're seeing the same kind of thing happen where they're willing to disavow these people of color who make up the squad because they are not towing the line as they believe they should. And we've seen it over and over again where anybody who basically dares to even ask a question about this process is considered anti-Semitic. And that's a false definition of anti-Semitism if there ever was one. It is not anti-Semitic to ask questions. But as I think Jamal Bowman said, the literal amount of acceptable questioning of Israel is zero. And so we've got this group that we really do need to get behind and support because they're simply being moral. They have the audacity to, to stand up and say that we shouldn't be facilitating this genocide and apartheid over there, that there isn't anybody in their right mind who doesn't see it that way. We understand that the Jews would like to follow behind Netanyahu, but there's an interesting little fact that's out there that some 70% of the people of Israel don't support Netanyahu. And he got rebuffed as he tried to consolidate even more power because they understand that it's a humanitarian crisis when you're continuing to just slaughter women and children who have no part in this process. So for uh, Hakeem Jeffries to stand up and say that not only does he support the Biden agenda, but that they consider Israel the sixth borough is just a violent kind of response when you think about your own people from an African-American who would support this terroristic apartheid genocide campaign, which is colonization at its best, because the monies that are going to be sent there, as Jamal Bowman said, is facilitating this process. And yet we can never find the monies that are necessary to try to support any of the initiatives that address diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging in this country. Something that you said I was thinking about on those lines uh, when I was watching the Sunday shows, when you talked about the average age of the squad is 38 years old. And I was looking at, I think it was the Stephanopoulos, whatever his show is. And when you take a look at the uh, some of the talk shows that they have, the talking heads, when you look at the Republican Party, 
they have people who are 50 and under or 60 and under, whatever. And I see Donna Bazile on there, and she is got to be 60 plus. And, and my point is they're trying to pretend, the Democrats are trying to pretend that ageism doesn't have a place. That's not a problem for them. And it is a problem with young people. They can't relate. These older politicians, you don't have people out there trying to trying to uh, sell what Biden has done. He's done a lot, but you don't have people out there trying to sell that. You don't have people, younger people in the Democratic Party, talking to the younger people about just what you talked about, Rod. You, you know, if if you care about, if you're pro-life, it should, pro-life to me mean pro-life about everything. It's not pro-life just uh, when it comes to abortion. And you don't have people out there talking about, hey, you got innocent Palestinians being slaughtered and people can't say anything about it. And I think there's a disconnect, but there's a big, huge age gap, not just chronologically, but there's an age gap when you start talking about when people are trying to relate to millennials and the Gen Xers and people who are like under 50. They're not connecting to the Democrats and they're not connecting with the Democrats. And part of the reason they're not connecting with them is because if you take a look at the leadership in the Democratic Party from the president and the vice president and the senators and the congressmen, other than the squad and a handful of other people who've gotten uh, elected here lately in Congress, these people are, uh, are older than me. And, and, and so they want younger people. They need that constituent to keep them in office. But they can't relate to them. They don't have anybody out there. They're not even trying. They just think that typically, well, we got the black, the black, the black vote wrapped up, so we don't really have to cater to them. I don't think that's going to happen for them this time. I don't think that people. I, I think that people may just stay home. They might not vote for Trump, but they may say, you know what? I can't vote. I can't vote for these people because they they don't get it. You know, they're not talking to us. They're talking. They're not trying to communicate with us. They think that we should just listen to them and follow them. And they've been leading us down a bad path, around the wrong path, both parties, for a very, very long time. Oh, Scott, I definitely agree with you there. And the lack of just leadership, the lack of actually being able to speak to that demographic. They're, the Democratic Party is going to be shocked when young people stay at home and when young people and uh, many others demographics decide to vote for a third party. They are not going to back a Democratic Party that's supporting the genocide in Israel. They're not. People have seen Biden support this and literally are not going to stand and, and get off their couches to come vote for him. That, that's just not going to happen, in my opinion. Well, it remains to be seen. Like I say, you know, according to the uh, polls, we... Don't see exactly what's out there, but obviously this will be the year when it has to galvanize one way or the other. So be sure to share your thoughts with us. In our Black Business Spotlight, meet 19-year-old Jordan Jackson. In 2018, he opened his retail store, Birch & Pen, at Northwoods Mall in North Charleston, South Carolina, becoming the youngest store owner in town at the ripe old age of 14. Now he organizes numerous pop-up markets featuring his own brand and other local small businesses. Before having his own store, Jackson was selling his clothes online, where his fashion and design skills gained widespread recognition. With the help of his mother, Keisha, he launched what was initially known as a clothing and accessories boutique that catered to both men's and women's high fashion. 
Fast forward to the present day, Jackson has teamed up with other businesses to open numerous pop-up markets in his hometown of Baltimore, Maryland, where he organizes inspiring lifestyle marketplaces that feature clothing, home decor, and food from his own brand, as well as other local brands. Be sure to follow his brand on Instagram, at Birch and Pen. And remember, our ongoing Black Business Spotlight theme is Let's Relaunch Black Wall Street Nationwide. That's a wrap for this week's show. And remember to follow us and share your thoughts with us by sending your comments as well as your questions and show ideas to The Brothers Talk on X, that was formerly Twitter, at The Brothers Talk. And catch us on Facebook, Instagram, or email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. As always, God willing, we'll continue to keep our focus on the issues that impact our community on the path to a better future. And until our next episode, know that we sincerely appreciate your time, your interest, and you can rest assured that we'll never take it or you for granted. And finally, let's all do better today because that's all we really have.